This happened in California. It was around 2 a.m. I was at my friend's house, safe in a warm shelter of suburbia. We had a lot to drink, chit-chatting, enjoying ourselves. Of course, when you're having fun, time hits the fast-forward button, and those few minutes turn into an hour. I had too much to drink. My friend has a bit of an abrupt bedtime, so I had to dodge out early, still intoxicated. I felt too shameful, thinking that I'd be asking too much to stay in his house to sleep off my drunkenness. I suppose he was either too rude or too drunk to consider it himself. Anyways, sometimes a little inconvenience makes you appreciate everything else. I needed about an hour to sober up to drive back. As fast as time passed during my stay, it decided to drastically slow down as soon as I stepped out of the house. It was a cul-de-sac area, a concrete jungle with the stem of the street breaking into a fork. Alongside the road, my car was parked. The only street light was in the middle of the cul-de-sac, about 80 yards away. I stumbled towards my car, felt the metal line up, opened my door, and shifted to the back seat. Because this was a dark, strange, unfamiliar neighborhood, I took the leftover newspapers and a sweater from my back seat to cover myself up. I was a little scared, and I wanted to camouflage myself and not just be some guy awkwardly sitting in the back of his car, waiting for time to pass in order to drive home. I couldn't fall asleep. The uncomfortable feeling of being in the cheap back seat bed, enshrouded in the darkness, and of course, my mind began to wander. I thought of the worst case scenarios, like how the police would shine their lights at me through the window, or a drunk driver hitting my car, and wait, in the distance, about a hundred yards away, I can hear footsteps approaching. The gravel scuffed with each step forward, growing in proximity but periodically taking stops. I wondered why, until it all made sense in my mind. Whoever it was, was probably looking through cars carefully, with the intent to steal one. I couldn't recall how many cars were on the block, but I counted three full stops until he was at my window, breathing. I froze. There was no more than a foot between us. The car encapsulated me as I lay hidden beneath the backseat clutter forming myself into an object, trying my hardest to be unnoticeable, unmoving, and simply not there. I see you, said a man in a perverse baby talk. Imagine if you were playing hide and seek and one of your friends tricks you into coming out. He said it in a tone of voice, as if baiting me, like he was questioning whether the clutter in the backseat was just clutter or a person. I didn't want to move or check the window. I remain clutter. Give me an Academy Award. My body reacted by minimizing my breath, so much so that I felt paralyzed. I dare not look. My eyes fixated on the back of the passenger seat. I didn't blink. I didn't move. I didn't breathe. My heart was pounding so hard, it shook my body with each throb. He circled around the car. My ears did not fail me. I heard the steps. I felt like I was part of the car. I could feel him touching the trunk as he carefully pressed down on it, as if to test if there was an alarm, as if to test me. I was in the middle of fight or flight, and I couldn't do either without elevating the danger. I was frozen and hoping to God he was just bluffing. He circled the car again. Door handle to my right jiggled. 
He was pulling it multiple times. I see you. Same tone. More agitated and stressed. More convinced that he was trying to make this clutter move. Revealing itself to be his expectations that it was me. My muscles tensed like a cow before slaughter. Tap, tap, tap. That had to be metal against the glass. Take a penny right now. Tap your window. Was it a crowbar? A knife? A rock? A gun? My eyes fixated on the scene in front of me, never averting my gaze, like he was. I was covered enough to where I couldn't see beyond the seat in front of me. I know I couldn't see him, but I could feel his eyes resting on top of me. My name is Poker Face. What's your name? The voice changed in a lower demented and serious tone. My mind forced a visual. It wasn't anything human. I had already accepted my death. I was ready to get shot in the head, ready to take that life-changing bullet, multiple knife wounds, just to make the sleep bearable, not excruciating, as he drained me from life. I wouldn't know how to react. My thoughts grew dimmer. I imagined my friend waking up the next morning, after a calm night of safe sound sleep, only to discover my mutilated, defiled, bloody body hanging outside of my car door. It was then I heard nothing but my own heart. What was the person doing now? Just staring at me in the middle of the night? Talking to me? Or a messy pile in the back seat? Time froze. The footsteps were being swallowed in the distance. Thank God he left. I waited another hour until the sun showed hints of itself. I jumped into the front seat of my car and bolted out of there, wide-eyed and sober. This one time I went to the bar with one of my friends. I had just turned 21, so I haven't been to much bars up to this point. My friend was drinking on the way to the bar, so he was already pretty drunk when we got there. When I sat down, a cute girl came and talked to me and my friend. She said her name was Candace, and I noticed that she had really bright red hair. I assumed she dyed it. It was pretty, but unnatural. Anyways... This girl was flirting with me and my friend. She could tell that my friend was already drunk. To be honest, I played along and acted like I was drunk already, too, since it seemed to be working for my friend. I didn't know if she was just trying to get us to buy her free drinks, so I told her we didn't have much money. Then she offered to buy us drinks. She kept buying us drinks, and I started to get confused as to who she liked between me and my friend. My friend went to the bathroom before he came back, he was kicked out by the bouncers. He was way too drunk. Candace and I went outside with him. She kept telling him to go home with her. He was so out of it that he could barely answer. I told her that he was too drunk, and I couldn't let him go anywhere. I didn't want him to wake up with a hangover in some random house with no car and no idea what happened. But Candace kept pushing it, saying that she would take care of him. I told her no because I had to stay with him. I was more sober than him and he was my responsibility. I told her the only way he was going anywhere was if I tagged along. I assumed she thought I was just jealous or cock blocking, but my friend could barely stand and had lost interest in Candace already at that point. She immediately started flirting with me and offered to get my friend a taxi to drive him home and said we could go to her place. 
At this point I had a few drinks and I was pretty buzzed, so I agreed. We took my friend to the taxi and then walked to her car. I slightly stumbled on the way to her car. Wow, you're pretty drunk, huh? She said smiling as she held onto my arm. Yeah, I said. I don't know why, but I just felt slightly shy and anxious. Everything was just happening too easy for me, so I felt uneasy. We got into her car and drove down the street. Want to stop at the liquor store and get some more to drink? I'll buy, so you don't have to worry about paying, she offered. I didn't want to drink any more than I already did. I was already buzzed. I wanted to be able to carry myself throughout the rest of the night. Sometimes I made myself stupid when I drank too much, so I didn't want to ruin anything with Candace more than I already did earlier with telling her my friend was too drunk. I told her I was already drunk enough, but she insisted. I didn't want to seem lame, so I told her I'd get a pint of liquor with some apple juice to chase it. She went into the store and came out with a lot more than just a pint. I assumed she wanted to drink more also. That's why she got a fifth instead of a pint. On the car ride, we passed the bottle back and forth, but she took teeny sips. I also tried to take teeny sips, but she kept passing the bottle back to me, telling me to drink. At that point, I somehow managed to drink all my apple juice, and I pretended to drink the liquor by spitting the liquor into the apple juice bottle. I tossed the apple juice bottle full of liquor out the window before she saw it. I didn't want her to know I was acting drunker than I actually was because she actually believed I was sloppy drunk when I was simply buzzed. I took a couple more sips of liquor to finish the bottle. Throughout the car ride, I kept calling her the wrong name to get a reaction out of her, but she didn't react to it. She just kept letting me call her Carla without correcting me. For some reason, I thought she lied to me about her name initially. We drove up to her house and I pretended to trip and stumble into her front door. She helped me walk inside by holding me up. She opened her front door, which was unlocked, and we walked into her house. She closed her front door and locked it behind her. I thought it was strange, but I assumed she didn't want anyone walking in on us. I told her how to use the bathroom, locked the door, and looked in the mirror. I just felt strange. I felt like something was off. I also felt myself becoming more drunk from finishing the bottle earlier. I turned on the sink to make noise as I made myself puke the liquor out that I drank. I flushed and went back to the sink and started drinking tap water with my hands to sober up. I just didn't want to be too drunk, but I still wanted to hook up with Candace, so I wanted to pretend to be drunk. I turned off the sink and I could hear her talking to someone. He's drunk as hell. He can barely stand up. You do it. Who is she talking to? And do what? I walked out of the bathroom into the living room. The moment I stepped into the living room, I saw her walking into another room. All I could see was the back of her head, the strange very bright red hair going to another room. I didn't see her face or anything. The living room was pretty dark. Hey, where, where are you going? I slurred like I was drunk. She walked back into the dark living room and came up to me. Let's go into my room, she said. I looked at her bright red hair and then into her eyes. They were different. Her face was different. It was another girl with the same hair. That's when I realized it was another girl with the same wig on. It had been a wig the whole time. She changed it with a girl from earlier for whatever reason. My heart felt like it stopped 
but I tried to look like I had no idea it was a different girl. I kind of smiled at her and told her I just needed to use the bathroom again, one more time, and sorry that I was so drunk. She said, it's fine, hurry up in there. I went into the bathroom and locked the door. I heard her whisper something to someone, but this time I think I heard a male voice whisper back. I honestly didn't concentrate on listening to exactly what she said. Something sketchy was going on and I had to get out of this house. I opened the bathroom window and jumped straight out of it and ran faster than I've ever ran in my life. I didn't look behind me or anything. I just ran through the backyard, jumped the fence, ran through someone else's backyard, hit a road, and ran towards the main road. I kept running down the main road until I saw a CVS. I ran into the CVS and stood straight in front of the store, in front of the camera. I called a taxi and went home. I try not to think what happened that night. What was she or they planning that night? Why did she give me a fake name? Why was she trying to get my friend so drunk? I thought maybe a robbery, but she kept spending money on us and we told her we didn't have much. She kept buying us drinks and even paid for my friend's taxi cab. And mostly, why did she wear a wig and give it to another girl to wear? Who was she talking to? What did it mean? And what was in that room that they tried to lure me into? My now husband and I moved in together almost four years ago to a rather nice, albeit expensive, apartment complex in sort of a nice part of town. We are on the third floor with a large balcony that looks out onto the courtyard in which the other apartments in the complex are located. Basically, you can see all the balconies and living rooms of the other tenants and an open stairwell. A year went by without a hitch. My husband works at a bar, so he comes home late, while I usually come home around 5. It is fairly easy to get to any apartment doorway, as the complex is large and open with no security doors, except for the door to the apartment. This all started in August of 2016. I would be at home chilling and watching TV, and almost always around 9.30, I would hear someone come up the stairs. Things would be quiet, and then all of a sudden, loud sharp knocks at my door. The first time I didn't move because it was startling, but eventually went to look out the peephole. There stood three people, all with black hoodies on and seemingly staring at the peephole as if they could see me. I didn't answer the door and after a while they left. Cue a few weeks later. Same time but this incident, footsteps, then loud hard bangs at the door that sent my cat flying to hide. I sat there frozen, but said to myself, maybe the police? I made it to the people once again, this time staring out to one person, dark hoodie, male, white, with very large black eyes. Again, I did not answer the door, and I grabbed the kitchen knife I kept by my side until my husband came home. This continued for weeks and happened once when my husband was home. He proceeded to look out the peephole, saw the same man and screamed for him to leave, and he did. We called maintenance and the police, who both stated that there would be regular patrols, but nothing else, and suggested we put in cameras. Everything stopped for a while, during the winter, which helped me be at ease, because when this was all happening, I had a very hard time sleeping, 
and stopped going out at night. However, I assumed the same man started up again, except this time it was louder bangs at the door. And when I would look at the peephole, there was no one there. I then became horrified and noticed cigarette butts outside of my door, like someone was standing there and waiting. I reported it again. Security stepped up in the area, but I still did not feel safe. I was just hoping it would stop. I felt tortured in my own home, but as I realized two weeks ago, things could get much worse. At night to go to bed, I would have to cross our eating area, which is right in front of our giant glass sliding door that led to our balcony. It was late at night. The lights were turned off in my apartment. As I walked by and glanced over across the courtyard, I see the same man standing at the landing of the stairs across the way, just staring right at my balcony, just standing there, not moving with his face in my direction. It was the same man that was at my door. I went numb, heart racing, chilled to the bone. I knew he couldn't see me because all my lights were turned off and the stairway had lights of its own. But I was still scared shitless. I called my husband who rushed over, but the man had already left. More reports to the front office, more promises of security patrols. This same creepy dead-eyed man with a hoodie continued to stand at the stairway landing, staring at my apartment. It has been two weeks and he does it every Friday night. I am horrified and have been having awful nightmares of him breaking in and strangling me in my sleep. So creepy black-eyed man, please, let's never ever meet. It was February 2010 and I was 7 years old. My mom would let me walk home from school as my apartment was just a little ways away from the school. There was never any problems with this but one day when I was walking home from school a black car pulled up next to me. For the life of me I can't remember what kind of car it was. The window to the car rolled down and there was a woman with red hair. She looked to be about 45. She introduced herself as Erica and said that she was my father's sister. My father left before I was born, and we didn't have contact with his family. Although I didn't know much about my father, at the time I did know that he only had brothers, because just days before I was asking my mom rapid fire questions about him, and one of them was if he had any brothers or sisters. Anyway, instead of telling Erica that he didn't have any sisters, or just walking away, I told her my name. And she started asking me questions like, where do you go to school? How's your brother? I got really creeped out by these questions and told her I wasn't supposed to be talking to strangers and I started walking away. She continued to drive slow next to me and kept saying she meant no harm. But I got scared and started running and she followed me. When I got to my apartment complex, I ran to my neighbor's house acting like it was mine because that's what my brother told me to do if I was ever followed home. I looked back when I was at the door and she was driving away. I didn't tell my mom because I didn't want her to stop letting me walk home alone. The next day was Saturday and when I was playing at the basketball court with my brother, I saw the same black car drive by. I dragged my brother inside telling him I felt sick. On Sunday after church, on the way home and pulling into the complex, I saw her outside. She was not in her car. I remember she had a big stomach and smaller legs. 
I got scared, and when we got out of the car, I ran inside and looked out the living room window while my mom and brother went to make lunch. I saw her walk over to the neighbor's house that I had ran to. A few moments later, she walked away, and my neighbors came over to my house. He informed my mother that the lady came looking for me, claiming that she was my teacher and needed to talk to me about something. When my mom heard this, she called me over. I started crying and told her everything, and then she started crying because she was so scared of what could have happened to me. She then told me I would now have to wait for my brother, who was 13, to get out of school so we could walk together. She also reported it to the police. After this, I saw the car and would point it out to my brother, and we would tell my mom. It all died down by April, and we never got any word if the police had talked to her. I didn't see her for years, and I forgot about it until yesterday. I was at Albertson's with my best friend. I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was her. She introduced herself again, and my mouth just hung open, in shock. And I acted nice, but when she offered to take me to my house, I got scared. I grabbed my friend and we walked away. I'm very afraid. She remembers me. She still tried to give me a ride, and she's still around. I already told my mom, but we aren't sure what to do. Since then, the lady has been identified, but since she didn't technically harm me, nothing is happening to her, but we still put a restraining order against her. I just hope I never see her again. I was driving home one day when I realized this truck had been behind me for miles. Just to be precautious, I made an abrupt last second U-turn and he did as well. I realized that I wasn't being paranoid and he was following me. I got on the phone with 911 and I made a sharp turn and ran a few red lights to try to lose him, but he wouldn't stop, literally almost hitting my car a couple of times as he sped up to try to catch me. 911 instructed me to go to my local grocery store and wait for the police. I parked right in front of the store's entrance to make sure I was in front of the surveillance cameras, and I waited. He ended up parking his car at a distance and waited for me to get out of my car. All of a sudden, I heard a knock on my window. I freaked out and turned, but it turned out to be the grocery store manager letting me know that 911 just notified him of the situation. He asked me if I wanted to go inside the store, and he would protect me until the cops arrived. I honestly feared the worst and told him no. I was shaking and thought that the maniac might have a gun. He could shoot me and everyone in there. Just then the cops arrived and luckily cornered him in the back of the parking structure. I was shaking as the cop came to my car. My hand was gripping the wheel very tightly. They arrested him soon after for his third DUI and the police filed a report. I don't know who he was. Apparently he lived a couple miles away from me. Unfortunately, Two months later, I received a letter to notify me that I may be subpoenaed. They notified me that he was now free, but that my information, including my address on the police report, were provided to him and his attorney. I now live in fear that he might come by one day and hurt me. So this happened around four or five years ago when I was in high school as a freshman when I was 14. A little context, 
When I started high school, I was very shy and introverted, but somehow ended up becoming really close friends with the prettiest and most popular girls at school. So these three girls were all used to being the center of attention, and it didn't bother them. It was about the end of December, and our exams for the semester were finally over that day. To celebrate, us four decided to go to the nearby mall and see a movie. It was the first time we had all gone out together, instead of hanging out at school, so we were very excited. Even I ended up dressing up and putting on makeup. We get our tickets. We're laughing, we're having fun. When one of the girls suggests that we go and get snacks from the market inside the mall, because it's much cheaper than the ones that are at the movie theater. It makes sense. So we went three or four floors down to buy some gummy bears and whatnot. Now the thing is, I have anxiety and a very strong instinct, but when you have both, people usually don't tend to believe you and say it's the result of your anxiety. When we entered the big market, I immediately felt that something was wrong. I ignored it, for I didn't want to ruin our first proper night out. The girls headed towards the drinks first, and that's when I noticed them, in the drink aisle. There were these two guys looking at us while talking and laughing. All while doing that, and the time it took for me and my friends to pick up the drinks, they never once broke their stare, nudging and whispering to each other. One of them was well over six feet and seemed pretty strong. The other was blonde. He was shorter, but he was still taller than the three of us. I was uncomfortable with their stares, but I just figured it's men being disgusting perverts, and I urged my friends to move on. When we moved to the next aisle, I saw them again not a minute after us. They stood at one end while we were at the other, still looking straight at us, their whispering now seemingly more heated. I grew really anxious at that and quietly pulled one of the girls aside and told her that I thought these dudes were following us. My friend says, we're four pretty girls. It's normal for guys to look at us. You're just being paranoid. She flipped her blonde hair while saying that, leaving me behind and moving to the next aisle. I had no intention of being left alone with those guys, so I followed after them very quickly. We went two aisles over, and each time they followed us. Whenever I tried to see what they were doing discreetly, their gazes would be upon us. The smaller blonde had one of the creepiest grins on his face that didn't quite reach his eyes. The tall one was smiling, but I can't forget the fact that he kept licking his lips. I was growing more and more anxious at this point, but the final straw was when we moved to the register to pay for our things. They came to the register right across from us. When I looked up, the blonde one winked at me, still with that smug grin plastered on his face. The friend that I talked to a little earlier saw it as well. I think you're right. They are following us. She whispered into my ear, and we told the other girls this as well. It was about 9pm at this point, and our movie would start in half an hour, so the floor we were on was getting less crowded with each minute. There was a cosmetic shop right across from the register that we were at. We decided to go there because A. It was the closest place and B, guys wouldn't go into the small cosmetics shop. We bagged our items, paid, and dashed into the store before the guys could move. Hoping that they would leave us alone now, we waited and pretended to look at some nail polishes. Instead of leaving like we thought they would, they started pacing in front of the store, waiting for us to come out. We thought about getting the store manager to call them all security, 
but we knew that the security here sucked, so we didn't call them. The four of us stayed there waiting to see if they would leave, but they didn't. They just kept pacing left and right, looking at us. The way the mall is designed, when you get out of the shop where you are, you can either go left or right. If you went left, you'd walk into a long hall, take another left, and there would be the escalator. If you took a right though, there were only bathrooms at the end of a hall, and it was pretty empty and dark. If those guys got us there, I knew that that would be it. So we decided to make a run for it. When the men passed the store for what felt like the millionth time, we took off running towards the escalators. I dared to look back and saw the two guys behind, not running like we were, but following us fastly. Had it not been for the fact that we had to run up the four stairs and lose these guys as fast as we could, I would start sobbing right then and there. After that, I didn't dare look behind me, and we just kept running until we got to the doors of the movie theater and threw ourselves in. There was a security guard there, so we told them everything. We gave descriptions in case they figured where we went and waited. They didn't come after us, though. Maybe we lost them. Maybe they decided that the trouble wasn't worth it. As the sense of safety kicked in and the adrenaline left, I had such a panic attack that I don't even remember the movie that I was excited to see. When the movie was over, we peeked our heads out. But fortunately, the guys were gone. We went home and never had to deal with them again. In spring of 2015, I, barely 18, took five of my friends, all girls, to what's known as Bunny Man Bridge in Fairfax, Virginia, since they'd never been. It was a Monday, maybe 9 p.m., and when we showed up, I wanted to get out and climb up along the railroad tracks that run over the bridge, as I had plenty of times in the past. I pulled the keys out of the ignition and sat for a minute telling them, the tale of the bunny man, at which point they got kind of freaked out and decided to stay in the car. We sat there and kept talking for maybe five minutes, until someone in the back seat gasped and froze staring out the back window on my driver's side of the car. I turned to my right to look at her and saw everyone else's faces freeze in horror, and the girl right behind me yelped. As I realized what was happening, I turned my head the other way to see who must be approaching. Someone started pounding on the back window and continued as they moved up towards my door. I turned just in time to see a man with a huge white dog come up and rip my door open. It was still unlocked from before when I'd been planning to get out, and for a second he just stood and stared at me, and he was visibly enraged. He started telling me this was private property and we were trespassing, and before I had a chance to tell him that we would leave, he started yelling at me to get out of the car. I said, we can just leave, you're being crazy. And at that point, he lost it and started really yelling right in my ear. And I think he saw my keys sitting on my lap because he tried to grab towards them. But I pushed his arm away and started yelling some profanities while my friend in the passenger seat gasped loudly. He stepped back for a second to look me up and down and then started eyeing the big metal cop flashlight I keep wedged under my seat. He tried to grab that too, but luckily his dog was off doing its own thing, and the leash pulled his arm away long enough for me to grab the door handle. He caught it just before it shut, 
and was trying to force it back open, saying he was going to call the police. And I finally thought to grab my car keys with my free hand and start the car. And I drove it off while he was still holding the handle, and then closed it once he couldn't keep up and had to let go. I watched him in the mirror as we sped away, and it really freaked me out to see that he let go of his dog's leash and began sprinting after us until he knew he couldn't catch up, at which point he just let out this deep scream. And just as we passed back under the bridge, it looked like he was bending down to pick something up. I've always assumed he was grabbing a rock or something to throw at the car, but we had cleared the corner before he could throw anything. I told my dad about it when I got home, and he made me call the police to report it, and the woman at the station actually sounded pretty concerned, which I wasn't expecting. After that, I read up on all these stories about the legendary Bunny Man, and lots of them described a crazy man yelling about trespassing, which was already enough to freak me out. But what's really wild is the guy could kind of match some of the descriptions given in other reports. What made it so confusing was that he didn't look crazy or dangerous. He was maybe 5'10", white, I'd say in his mid-50s, and he looked quite fit and healthy and he was wearing a flannel, jeans, and a baseball cap. I still can't figure out where he could have walked up from, though. I've been checking my mirrors and peripherals the whole time we were parked there, up to the moment the first girl gasped. All I can think was that he might have walked straight out of his bamboo forest that's on the right as you first come out the other side of the narrow tunnel through under the bridge. We had turned around and we were facing the bridge from the other side. So this bamboo was on our left side, and the whole rest of the immediate area is thickly forested, aside from a lawn-wide concrete driveway to our right just in front of us. I never heard back from the police about it. I've gone back there a few times since it happened, but I won't ever park and sit around there again. I just drive friends through the bridge who haven't seen it before and then turn around and leave. All in all, it made for a perfect campfire story, but I still wonder what he would have done if I had stepped out or if he had gotten hold of that nightstick flashlight. The only logical explanation is that he's a resident that's sick of kids partying down there, which I get, but to say he overreacted is an understatement, not to mention he completely fed into the lore of the crazy man yelling at trespassers. I was 14 years old, and I had spent the night at my best friend's house, who was a year younger than me. We were pretty responsible, well-behaved kids, so we were trusted to be left home alone at times. That morning, it was just three girls in the house. Me, my friend, and her older sister, who was actually just about to leave for work. Parents were at work, too. It was around 10 to 11 a.m., and I was lying in her bed, half awake, trying to fall back to sleep. I'm a huge light sleeper, and her sister would always be the loudest in the morning while she got ready. And although me and her older sister weren't that fond of each other, I never said anything. We will call my friend Gabby and her sister Cheyenne. I could hear Cheyenne making her way out of the front door, Gabby behind her to close it and lock it after her. I heard Cheyenne say something along the lines of, make sure everything is locked, and how there's a weird man across the street sitting on a curb facing our house so she leaves i got up because going back to sleep was no option i've had sleep issues for as long as i can remember 
So we're sitting on her bed with pancakes and we were just hanging out eating our breakfast. This was all about 10 minutes after Cheyenne had left. So Gabby and I were just talking and I brought up how her sister said something about a guy across the street. And I said something along the lines of, your sister is so dramatic. I kid you not, there's knocking at the front door right after I said that. Gabby and I just sat there looking at each other in silence. Her bedroom was located at the front of the home. So window faced the street. I peeped through and I didn't see a guy across the street. I creeped to the front door and I made a tiny peek to see who it was because her front door had this big old window with some shades. I didn't want whoever was there to see me. Long and behold, it was him. It was the guy Cheyenne warned us about. I knew because Gabby silently freaked out and said, what the heck, it's him. He was an African-American dressed regularly. Can't remember if he looked older or younger. So we ran to the bathroom and called her sister. Gabby's house never really got visitors. I know because I was literally always there. Her neighborhood was predominantly Hispanics and white. The only African-American guy to ever come around their house was a good friend of her dad's, but that wasn't him. So there we were, locked inside the bathroom, freaking out. Gabby said something like, He saw me after Cheyenne left. He knows I'm home. I was beyond scared. Like, what if he finds his way inside? We just knew he did not have good intentions. He obviously knows there's a young girl in the house by herself. So her sister was on the freeway and wasn't able to come back. She told her to call their uncle who lived close by. Her uncle Mike rode a motorcycle and he was really nice but a tough looking macho guy. Gabby and I were like sisters so I'm really close with her whole family. So while we were waiting for uncle Mike to show up, the strange guy starts to frantically ring the doorbell. What a freak. It got quiet for a little bit, then he started to knock on the door really slowly. It was the creepiest thing ever. All of her dogs outside started barking like crazy. Then before we knew it, her uncle's bike pulled up. In relief, we let ourselves out of the bathroom and ran outside. We were so thankful he had made it because we were genuinely scared. We had no idea who the guy was, and he knew that he had no business being here. The story isn't over just yet, though. When her uncle pulled up, he pointed him out and said, Is that him down there? Gabby lived across from an elementary school, which was only just a few houses down. The guy was standing in front of the school, facing us, still watching the house. We never found out who that weirdo was, but we're glad that her uncle showed up when he did. This is a story from a few years back when I was in my last year of college. I was taking a history class that I loved, and it just so happened that my good friend Amelia was in the class too. Of course, we sat right next to one another. The class was taught by a very popular professor, so there were a good deal of people in it. At the time, I was a smoker, as was my friend Amelia, so we made a habit of sharing cigarettes together after class. Around this time, I started to befriend another person, Rachel. She and I didn't take any classes together, but she lived with another good friend of mine, so we started to get to know one another. Rachel and I would do homework together, hang out outside of the library together on study breaks, and so on. Amelia met Rachel separately, and before long the three of us became a little trio. About a month after we all became friends with Rachel, this boy from Amelia and I's class started to say hello to us during our cigarette break. He would make little comments here and there about things we learned in class, 
and would ask us how we were doing our papers and such. Eventually, we learned his name was Ryan, and Ryan became a fixture in our cigarette ritual. After a little while, Amelia and I noticed that Ryan was asking a lot of questions about our daily schedules. At first, we thought he was just trying to get to know us and our interests, but his questions were getting specific. What time did we go to the library? When did we study in places other than the library? Who did we like to study with? He was his normal smiley and friendly self the whole time, but the subject matter of his questions were just off. We thought perhaps he was a bit socially awkward. A lot of people at our school, well known for being full of eccentric students, were well, eccentric. It wasn't terribly uncommon to encounter somebody who acted a little bit different than the norm. We let it slide. Ryan started asking Amelia and I to hang out outside of class. He wanted to tag along in what we usually did, but Amelia and I were both unusually busy at the time, and it kept not working out with our schedules. He kept asking every day after class, though, and we noticed he was getting less happy and significantly more irritated as time continued to go on. Amelia and I both agreed that he was starting to make us uncomfortable, though we couldn't quite put our fingers on why. One day, Rachel met Amelia and I at her dormitory, saying she had something serious she needed to speak with us about. When we got there, we settled onto a bench and got talking. Rachel told us that she had recently gotten out of a terrible abusive relationship with a boy who hit her, sexually assaulted her, and took general pleasure in her misery. Around the time we had met Rachel, she had begun the process of reporting him to campus authorities in an attempt to have him removed from campus. A temporary no-contact order had been put into place between the two of them, and Rachel told us that she had just moved into the dorm she was living in so that he wouldn't know where she lived. She had also found out that her ex was attempting to befriend the people she knew in an attempt to find out where she was living, where she spent her time, and what she liked to do and when. She wanted to warn us just in case he approached us so that we would keep our distance and not reveal any information about her routines. She told us his name. His name was Ryan. Amelia and I both looked at each other in shock. To confirm, we asked Rachel to describe what he looked like. She described our new cigarette buddy and classmate to a T. We immediately informed Rachel about the interactions we had been having with Ryan. And Rachel informed us that we were the fifth and sixth people she had confirmed that Ryan was attempting to make contact with. Of course, we immediately started avoiding him switching up our routines to make sure we left the area immediately after class ended. A few weeks later, Ryan stopped showing up to class. Neither of us ever saw him again. A few weeks after that, Rachel informed Amelia and I that Ryan had been expelled from the school. He had sexually assaulted another student at a party. When they went to collect evidence from his dorm room, they found a detailed ledger of information he had collected about Rachel and pieces of writing about all of the horrendous things he wanted to do to her. I'm not entirely sure whatever happened to him, but thank God we never saw him again. I was driving on the back roads, on the edge of city limits. It was dark, no lighting at all, a few rest stops here and there. I was meeting a woman off of Craigslist, already feeling a bit nervous. I was going pretty fast, no other cars in sight. Out of nowhere, I see a guy running across the road. He was already almost right in front of my car, 
looked like he was getting chased by another guy, who I didn't see until I swerved to avoid the first one while braking hard. My car went kind of sideways and hit the second guy pretty fierce, not at full speed. I heard a loud thud, but didn't actually see him get hit. My car ended up on the side of the road. The first guy seems to have kept running out of sight. He wasn't there when I got out. This was a huge red flag for me, but I just hit somebody and was worried I had killed them. I was shaking and had that sinking feeling in my stomach. I ran towards the guy who was on the floor breathing heavily. Thank God he was alive. I asked him if he was okay. He didn't respond. He just kept breathing really hard. Then I took out my phone to call 911. As I was typing the number, that's when I just heard him say, No, don't call anyone. Don't call the cops. He said it pretty alarmed. So I just looked over at him with my phone in my hand with the flash on. I asked him if he could stand. He got up slowly with a slight limp, with my light shining on him. I could see his clothes were all tattered, and he was wearing two layers of clothes with the jacket, now torn at the arms. He had blood on his arms, I guess from when he landed on the ground. He said, I'm fine. Do you have any cigarettes? I said, yeah, let me go get them. I had a pack in my glove box since forever. I was an occasional smoker and only smoked with my coworker, but not in a while. We walked over to my car and I got the cigarettes and I handed them to him. Then I put my phone on the charger. The car was still on. As I did, he asked for a lighter. I said, yeah, hold on, let me look for it. While lighting his cigarette, that's when I asked him, who was the other guy? He said, someone stole my backpack from me when I was sleeping. Oh, okay, he was definitely a homeless man. I felt so bad. I started pulling out my wallet. I wanted to give him all the money in my wallet out of guilt. He looked fine now, minus the blood-scraped arms and his breathing had gotten normal. While pulling out my wallet and asking, You sure you don't want me to call an ambulance? That's when I felt the sharpest pain rock my face. I saw all blurry for a couple of seconds. I started stumbling. My body felt like I was about to fall over. I was dizzy. When I came to, I saw my car pulling away and driving off. He punched me and took off, left me with a pretty bad headache. I stood there in shock for what seemed like an eternity. I reached for my phone out of instinct. Then I remembered I left it charging. Crap. I reached under my jacket to see if my gun was still on me. I felt relieved when I felt my gun on my side. Okay, good. At least I'm not out here defenseless. I kept walking down the road endlessly, hoping to find somebody. I'm pissed off and I'm scared at this point. A few good miles later, I see some lights. As I get closer, I see it's one of those public restrooms with nothing else in sight. But that's good, there might be a payphone. Now what do I see next? I couldn't believe my eyes. There's a car that looks just like mine parked right out front. I take a peek. The guy that took my car is asleep. Looks like he cleaned his arms off. No jacket. That moron, he could have kept driving, but I'm glad he didn't. I took out my gun and tried to open the door. It's locked. I tried all the doors, but they were all locked. I didn't want to wake him up by banging on the car because I was afraid he was going to drive off again. I looked all over the ground, nothing to break the window. So I holster my gun, take off my jacket and wrap it around my hand, 
I smash through it, glass spilling everywhere. The guy jerks awake and starts fumbling around. All the while, I drop the jacket and rapidly unholster my gun again. I'm pointing my gun right at his head. He says, please don't shoot me, instead of saying sorry for what he did. I tell him to get out of the car and walk towards the wall with his back turned. So I backed up and he complied. I tell him not to move, and then I ask him where my keys are. After I get my keys from him, I drove off, with glass all over my car. I never called the police because I had hit him earlier, and then because I pulled a gun on him, I was scared and worried about the legality of it. Also, I had bought it from arms list, but the seller never signed the bill of sale. Only I did, so I was sketched out about that as well. Last thing I need is them checking out my gun after he tells them about it, and finding out the guy who sold it to me reported it as stolen. I probably would have been fine calling them, but I was worried and I never met the Craigslist girl. I ended up only just going home. I've recently begun helping my mom sell my childhood home, and it sparked the memory of possibly the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. My friends and I were 15. I grew up in a subdivision about 20 minutes away from any towns. It was a very safe neighborhood, Streetlights on the corners, lots of kids. Lots of my classmates lived there as well, and there was never any fear with us walking to each other's houses or staying out after dark. My subdivision was about three miles long, and I lived at the very end of it. The last mile is a sharp right turn into a hill, and has thick woods along both sides of the street, with four houses at the bottom, all surrounded by woods. My friend Maddie lived at the entrance of the subdivision. One year we got about eight inches of snow and ice. It shut down the roads. People were stranded. Schools were closed for a week. The first days of this snow, me and Maddie and Kelly spent the whole day playing. We decided to have a big sleepover at Maddie's house that night. When the sun looked like it might start setting, we started to trek down to my house to get the overnight bag. By the time we finished packing, it was dark out. The woods always enchanted by darkness, but it didn't bother us. The three of us started walking, joking, enjoying the night air. As we cleared the top of the hill, we saw something that made us stop in our tracks. A hooded figure standing on the corner, illuminated only by the street light. They didn't move. They stood completely stiff, staring straight ahead. It was unsettling, but it easily could have been a neighbor. So with nervous laughs, we started descending the hill. The figure never moved, staring straight ahead. As we got to the bottom, we could see the hood was lined with fur, and they had some sort of black mask hiding their features. We started to get nervous. At this point, we are even with this person. It's blackout, the one streetlight illuminating the corner. After staring at the figure for about 45 seconds, Madly finally called out, Hey, stop messing with us. It's not funny. At this point, the figure moved, only shuffling its feet to turn its body in our direction. They extended their hand towards us. Time stopped. I could feel my heartbeat in my throat. The figure gestured, Come here, before turning and walking into the woods. We ran as fast as our feet would take us until we reached Maddie's house and deadbolted the door behind us. The next morning when I walked home, I stopped at the corner where the figure had been and felt pure genuine fear. 
there were two tracks of footprints, one leading out of the woods and one leading back in. This happened about a month ago, and it's still been bugging me since. This will be a long story, so listen at your own risk. Setting up the scene is very important. My family has a cabin that we've had since the 60s, and I've been going there for my entire life throughout the years. It's nestled in a little town of less than 2,000, and surrounded in vast forests and farmland. You'll see cows everywhere, and stray dogs who will let you pet them. You'll maybe see 30 people in a day if you go in the little town, and small mom-and-pop restaurants everywhere. It's the definition of a small country town. Since I've been going here my entire life, I pretty much know everybody, or my family knows everyone. Men dress in western clothes with big jeans and old flannel shirts and belts with big belt buckles. Women dress in jeans and tank tops with country factory logos on them. They're all nice enough, but keep to themselves. I'm driving up here one night to meet my parents since they had gone down the night previously to open the cabin for spring. My boyfriend had also flown in so he could meet my family who lived up there. I had been driving until it got dark, about a two hour and ten minute drive from my house, and he had taken over driving around 10pm. There's also a little national park close by, about 15 minutes in total of land, and since I had fallen asleep and couldn't give directions, he decided to log the address into his GPS. It took him through the back way through the park that I never drive through. So when he woke me up to ask where to turn since the GPS said he could go either way, it took me a minute to figure out where we were. There were no lights anywhere and we were the only car for those 15 miles. Long forests with tall giant trees on either side of the road with a lonely deer or two in the woods to keep us company. I mentioned switching drivers because I remember that road. The entrance to the park that would lead directly to the intersection that would go through a small community up to the mountain my cabin was on but it was prime leave a toy baby on the side of the road and kidnap somebody when they checked it out territory. It was dark enough and the forest was thick enough that we joked that some cult members could be hiding out there. I mean, maybe they were. Needless to say, we decided stopping wasn't a good idea. We eventually passed through a small clearing intersection, not the one we wanted, with a dinky concrete building on the side of the road with one light on, and a car that was pulled into the slanted gravel ground my boyfriend drives forward and we see two people there. My gut immediately twisted and I started to feel sick. Sick enough to feel ice cold run through my veins and needing a hand on my stomach. You never see people at night here. It was two kids, two boys in fact. Probably around 15. They were wearing city clothes. Shorts with logos on them. And obnoxiously colored sports workout clothes. And looked very out of place. They saw us coming and walked away from what looked to be an old beat-up El Camino, probably a 65. It's important to note that the paint was completely gone, and it had a light brown dirt or rust that was covering the body. They waved and smiled at us, and that was what freaked me out the most. I didn't have a clue who these people were, and I knew a gas station that was right up the road. They could just walk there. I could see it past the road and overhead bridge. That building was also abandoned. So how was there a light on the wall? They walked out onto the road, almost blocking us from going forward. And my boyfriend had to slow down not to hit them as they continuously waved their arms and smiled at us. 
maybe saying something, but I couldn't hear. I remember mine and my boyfriend's conversation going something like this. He asked, should we stop? Looking nervously at me with a hand on the gear shift. No, absolutely not. Just keep driving, I said, clenching the door handle and double checking it to be locked. But babe, they could be in trouble. I don't care. I don't know them. My gut is telling me that we need to leave. That building's abandoned. It shouldn't have a light. And heck, their car is abandoned. Just drive, please. He quickly drove around them and slammed on the gas, trying to calm me down since the whole scene scared me in such a specific and bizarre way. Images of getting out of our car as some stranger got in flew through my head. I looked behind us and they stood in the middle of the road, with a cross between an angry look and a calm stare, and didn't move from the road until we turned and couldn't see them anymore. Who were those kids? Why were they wearing city clothes? They looked too young to be driving cars. And I knew for a fact that the car that they acted like they owned had been there for months. I knew because I remembered seeing it last summer when my dad pointed out the model, and I said how I wanted an El Camino someday. We finally made it out and found the intersection we wanted that led to the familiar gas station, and he didn't hesitate when I said I needed to drive next. About ten or so minutes later we got to my cabin, half-heartedly laughing about it the whole way there. When I told my parents about it, they didn't reprimand us for not stopping. It was almost 12am by that time and the night wasn't so bad that those kids would freeze, and they agreed with us that the whole situation was very weird. Should I have stopped? I don't know, maybe. Can I change what I did? No. Did I feel comfortable stopping? Absolutely not. I just hope I never see those two boys again.